Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. President Biden took aim at Trump supporters at a rally for Democratic donors in Maryland last night. He said that mega ideology is like semi-fascism. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. One man interrupted the president's speech yelling that Biden stole the election. Over 74 million people voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Former Bush advisor Karl Rove said he did not always agree with Trump. However, he said it is egregious to label millions of Trump voters for supporting good policies. He had been for a strong national defense, rebuilding our military after eight years of, of, of uh, the Obama-Biden administration. He believed in secure borders and building the wall. He believed in law and order when our cities were in flames, and he appointed conservative judges. And that's a semi-fascist philosophy. Rove added that Biden had made a pledge to unite the nation, but now he will say whatever it takes to win elections. Dr. Peter Navarro is an expert on China and understands the threats stemming from the Chinese Communist Party. He served as assistant to the president and was director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy in former President Trump's White House. He just wrote a book talking about his experiences at the White House and what it would take for Trump to win back the presidency. Here's part of our discussion. Peter Navarro, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Always good to be with NTD. Really appreciate that. Now, uh, Peter, you have a new book coming out called Taking Back Trump's America. Give us a preview, if you would, and tell us what is uh, Trump's America? Trump's America is the, the MAGA blueprint, which took us in 2017 through four years of the most prosperous economy in modern history and a world where we were safe and secure from the likes of communist China, imperial Russia, crazy North Korea, and crazier Iran. Oh, that's a toss-up between those two. The Taking Back Trump's America book is important because it's both a blueprint and battle cry for the MAGA movement to do two things. One, we have to take back the House of Representatives from Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi and her merry band of fools like Schiff and Raskin and others have weaponized the investigatory powers of Congress in a way which violates the Constitution, is destroying our republic as we know it. And their, their one mission, their one mission is to try to take out Donald Trump in 2024. So the Taking Back Trump's America books is important to me um, as a mission. And uh, <laughs> by the way, it's also my legal defense fund as uh, as the FBI and the Department of Justice um, and Democrats on Capitol Hill are trying to put me behind bars simply for standing up for my president and my constitution. Peter, you obviously have a deep respect for the president. Uh, you served under him loyally um, for you know four years. However, in your book, you don't pull any punches when talking about some of his mistakes, specifically with personnel choices. Yes. Tell us about some of the biggest hiring challenges the president has. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was the biggest. I call it the Achilles heel of the boss. Uh, I love the boss, uh, despite these bad personnel. Uh, he was the best president we've ever had. But if we're looking forward to 2024, past cannot be prologue. Um, and when and I was I was one of only three people with President Trump from the campaign all the way to the end, one of three senior advisors. And uh, I was there during the transition. Um, there's a there's a great story in the Taking Back Trump's America book about how what we call the November 9thers came in the day after the November 8th election from the Republican National Committee, took over the war room at Trump Tower and proceeded one by one. Uh, to purge the Trump loyalists. And what what would happen uh, very quickly um, is there would be, uh, I call it the cabinet of clowns in the Taking Back Trump's America book. We'd put in uh, place just really stupid choices like Rex Tillerson at State, Jim Mattis um, at the Defense Department, and some, some other grifters. And, you know, Ben Carson, I love that guy, but putting him at, at HUD was like stupid. Stupid. I mean, if we'd had him at Health and Human Services when the pandemic hit, everything would have been fine. So we made those bad choices uh, because of what Steve Bannon called the original sin of the administration, which was try to bring in the rhino Republicans into the Trump coalition. It just didn't work. But I think it's really important if we're going to win back the White House 2024 that we govern over the next uh, four years in a way um, which gets things done. Time is precious when you're in the White House, as we learned. And um, there, was a, there were things we left on the table that I wish we hadn't. Peter, you've been very clear on China uh, before it was, uh, say, the cool thing to do. Uh, some say you wrote the book on how to deal with China and the CCP. You actually did write another book on China, literally. Uh, but to my point, do you think President Trump left anything on the table? Is there any unfinished business when it comes to confronting the CCP? Well, look, the thing that bothers me about Jared Kushner, he's out like pimping his, his book now, which is which is fiction, not fact. But one of the big reveals in that book is his claim of credit for the, quote, historic trade deal we had signed in January 2020. The reality of that deal was it was the, the skinny deal. That's what it was. It was a pale shadow of what it should have done. And what was revealed in, in Kushner's book, and he seems to be proud of it, is he was double dealing with Steve Schwartzman on Wall Street and John Thornton, these guys, along with the Chinese Communist Party negotiators behind the backs of me and Lighthizer and even the president to come up with this this bad deal. And that's what we left on the table. I mean, if Trump gets back into office, I can assure you one of the first things he's going to do, he doesn't have to pound on any table, just do it quietly, is lock out tariffs on communist China. And we'll just cut the cord from them because every dollar we pay uh, at Walmart for a made in, China, made in communist China product, it goes into their military war machine to take out Taiwan. I think we, we can't be we can't be that stupid anymore. And that's why I just these Mnuchin and Kushner and Kudlow and Cohn, um, these people just didn't belong um, in Trump land. And, and the Trump people know that. Um, but boy, they did some damage. Peter Navarro, thank you so much. Good to see you, my friend. Most of the stories you've been hearing about immigration highlight the chaos 
at the southwest border. But in fact, the entire immigration system in the United States is being stressed, even for people who've come to the U.S. legally. About half a million asylum seekers legally in the United States are living in a constant state of uncertainty, compounded by the threat of persecution in their home countries. Antony's Melina Wisecup has the story. Many have described our immigration system as broken. While the word immigration brings to mind those chaotic images at the southern border, immigration woes reach further. There are nearly half a million immigrants in the U.S. who came here legally, but have been stuck in the backlog of asylum claims for years, some waiting seven years or more. In, in some cases, they haven't seen their, their spouse or their children during that time. Uh, the uncertainty, they don't know if they're going to be able to stay here or they'll have to leave. And all the time they're here, and many of them have work permits, so they're building their life here, but without knowing whether or not that'll be torn away from them. The pressure is even greater for those who still have family in their home countries, as those families members might not be safe. Many of these immigrants are seeking asylum because they fear persecution due to their political opinion, race, social group, nationality, or spiritual beliefs. Tiffany Jong, a Falun Dafa practitioner, is currently stuck in the asylum system. She fled China fearing persecution from the Chinese Communist Party. In 2001, um, my mother was sent to brainwashing center, and the last time she was persecuted in China was in two, uh, 2018. And every time I hear the sound of knocking the door, I was really afraid that the people outside the door were the police. Zhang applied in 2020. Her case now on the top of the stack gets priority over those old cases, meaning those who applied earlier are falling further and further away from having an interview. Jason Zubo, an immigration attorney, attorney specializing in political asylum tells me these are the longest waits ever seen. And now we're at 400 and more than 440,000 cases in the backlog. And this is, by the way, cases, meaning uh, some cases have a, a spouse and children. So you're talking probably around 800,000 people. And the illegal immigration surge hasn't helped. There are currently 1.7 million cases filed in immigration court. Those who are claiming asylum to prevent removal from the U.S. This puts even more of a stranglehold on the immigration system. Fortunately, the Biden administration has hired an additional 80 asylum officers to start processing applicants who filed for asylum on or before January 1st of 2016. But they have a lot of distractions from other types of cases, including at the border, including something called NACARA, which is a benefit for certain Central Americans. And that's fine. Those cases need to be adjudicated as well. But asylum uh, seekers always seem to be the ones who are sort of left behind. So what more, aside from these 80 new officers, what more could the Biden administration or Congress do to help ease this backlog? You know, I think the one thing that really needs to happen is we as a nation need to make a decision about what we want to do about people arriving at the border. Uh, a lot of people obviously are arriving at the border seeking asylum. Those people, you know, if you talk to them and meet them, they are fearful of returning to their home countries. But the question is, does that fear equate to a valid claim for asylum? And in some cases it does, in some cases it doesn't. Congress members from both parties have told NTD they recognize the asylum system needs reform, but lawmakers and leadership have not yet made any real moves toward addressing the mounting issue. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Wisecup, NTD News. This week, Texas Governor Greg Abbott sent another five buses of illegal immigrants to New York City amid strong pushback from New York's Democratic Mayor Eric Adams. We spoke with Republican Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you again, thank you. 
Congresswoman, I want to talk to you about illegal immigration. It's one of those things that seems to be out of sight, out of mind. Uh, Texas and Arizona governors have been sending illegal immigrants by the busload to sanctuary cities like New York. Uh, there's been shocking pushback from the mayor of New York City. Has this been uh, a bit of an eye-opener, would you say? Yeah, look, uh, we had been saying for quite some time that President Biden's open border policy that has allowed millions of immigrants to cross illegally uh, will create an issue in America's cities. Every community has now become a border community, and we are feeling the burden right here in New York City, whether it be by the plane loads that President Biden and his administration were sending, or now Governor Abbott. In both cases, I think it's wrong, and I think we need to secure our border. I'm a proud daughter of immigrants, and uh, I believe that we need to preserve the American dream for future generations. But what is happening at our border is a disgrace. And we are seeing millions of people, some dozens, who are actually found to be on the terrorist watch list. You have individuals coming from over 60 countries without being proper, properly vetted. And it should be a concern for all Americans, particularly since the taxpayers are paying for the health care, the education, uh, the, the housing for these individuals. Um, and again, that's not what we believe uh, should be the immigration policy of this country. In fact, we have to enforce our laws, but also be a, a, a country of compassion, but for those who want to respect our, our borders and follow our laws. You made a lot of uh, really interesting points. Uh, to, your, to your average person consuming news, um, how, how to tell what is political or being politicized versus what is good or bad policy based on what is actually happening uh, on the border? Well, look, I think it's just, it's, it's very simple, right? We have laws, we are a nation of laws, we have a border and it needs to be respected. Right now, uh, the president's policies put in place uh, have incentivized people to come into our country illegally. And the policies at our city and state level have further incentivized it and rewarded these individuals. The, the, the governor herself put in the budget this year $200 million to provide free health care for those in the country illegally. Ask American citizens in our state how costly health care and prescription drugs have been for them. Uh, they even went so far as to put a $2 billion fund together to give stimulus checks to those in the country illegally, where if you were a mother, a single mother of three, and you earned over $80,000, you got absolutely no stimulus check. So there is a double standard here, and I think that's what's so frustrating about people. Again, we are a nation of immigrants. We are a compassionate city and nation, but we have to follow the, the laws and the rules put in place. What is happening right now is unsustainable, and the taxpayers who are already struggling in New York to pay for their own cost of living, to keep up with inflation, to pay for their own housing, uh, they can't afford the extra, the extra cost that this will be the burden on the taxpayer to pay for thousands of migrants who disregarded our laws. I'd like to ask you about crime. Uh, we've been seeing more and more of these random acts of violence throughout the country, especially in New York City. Um, what is the solution and are New Yorkers getting tired of it? Look, the, the, the solution is to put in place common sense policies at the local and state level that will actually punish people who commit those crimes. Unfortunately, the governor refuses to bring the legislature back for a special session to fix that radical and dangerous bail law that has led to crime skyrocketing in our communities. You are reading in the paper 
dozen, two dozen, three dozen prior arrests and the individual still being released back onto the street. That's unconscionable. And that's not putting public safety first. Um, what we need to do is continue to urge our governor to fix those laws or quite frankly, replace her when November's election comes along. But it's that coupled with prosecutors who don't want to prosecute and judges who, uh, even when they have discretion, are releasing people back onto the street. As a matter of fact, I introduced a bill on the federal level because we don't have much say into the state you know, criminal laws. But what we can do is require that every state at least allow judges to use discretion to hold someone if that person is a danger to society. So if someone is a repeat career criminal, they are pose a danger to society, they, the judges can use their discretion to hold that individual. New York right now is the only state that doesn't allow it. So if my bill becomes law, it would require every state to, be, to allow that for that discretion. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, thank you so much. It's great to be with you, thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.